0: And the angel said to the women, fear not, for I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. Come, see the place where he lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples. I don't know about you, but I love surprise endings. The kind of endings that leave you with your mouth hanging open, your pulse racing, and send a shiver up your spine. In fact, one of my all-time favorite movies is renowned for its surprise ending. How many of you have ever seen Citizen Kane? Well, if you have, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. The opening scene of that film shows the wealthy newspaper magnate Charles Foster Kane lying near death in his palatial estate, Xanadu. Reporters surround his bed on every side, carefully chronicling his final moments. But as Cain breathes his last, he mutters a single mysterious word. You remember? Rosebud. Well, no one who's present on that particular occasion seems to know who or what Rosebud is. Furthermore, the investigator who's in charge of unlocking the mystery finds himself stumped at every turn. For no matter how hard he looks, no matter how many of Cain's old colleagues he asks, he cannot seem to solve the mystery. No, it's only in the very last frame of the movie that the audience is finally let in on the secret. And it's a huge surprise. Because Rosebud turns out to be the very last thing that you'd expect. One of my favorite books is also famous for its surprise ending. It's Agatha Christie's And Then There Were None. A classic whodunit about 10 people who are trapped in an old house on a deserted island off the Devon coast. It's several chapters of twists and turns that have you biting your nails from start to finish. And when you finally get to the end and the culprit is unmasked, well, it's a veritable bombshell. In classic Agatha Christie style, it is a punch you never see coming. Oh, yes, there's something about a surprise ending, isn't there? Something that when it's done well, leaves you both breathless and invigorated. Well, this morning we gather to celebrate the greatest surprise ending of all time. The one that no one expected, the one that nobody anticipated, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The Gospels are clear. The events of the previous three days had staggered the Lord's disciples. Truth be known, it had shattered these men. We have to remember the disciples had given up a great deal in order to follow Jesus. Many of them had given up their homes, their families, their livelihoods, but all of them had made serious sacrifices in order to be one of his disciples. But now, as the sun was rising on this, the first day of the week, it seemed that it had all been for naught. For their master was gone. He'd been murdered, crucified before their very eyes, murdered in a most public and ignominious way. They were absolutely convinced that all was lost. So try and imagine, if you will, their utter shock, their complete surprise when he suddenly appeared to them alive again. What do you think was their first reaction? What do you think was the first thought that raced through the mind of these disciples when they saw him again? Well, the Gospels tell us plainly. It was absolute horror. They were terrified to see Jesus. And why not? I mean, after all, he'd been dead. He'd been buried. And now here he was, upright before their very eyes. There was something unnatural about it. Spooky, eerie. The more rational among them were absolutely convinced that they were just seeing a ghost or a phantom. But they all had an overriding desire to run away. And yet that's when it happened. We're told that Jesus opened his mouth and he spoke to these men, and he said, peace be with you. And in that moment, all of their pent-up frustration and worry vanished into thin air. All of a the sudden, their hearts, which had been encased in this hard shell of anger, fear and resentment, simply broke open. I love the way Luke's Gospel describes it, it said, they disbelieved for joy. That is to say, they could hardly believe their eyes. They they thought it must be a dream, it must be a vision. But Jesus invited them to come closer, to take a look at the nail prints in His hands and in His feet. He said, come, take a look at this gaping wound in my side. And as they did, it began to dawn on them, one by one, that this was not a dream. This was not a vision. This was flesh and blood. This was, in fact, the greatest surprise ending of them all. Well, this morning, I want to suggest to you a few ways that the surprise ending of Easter forever changed the lives of these disciples and a few ways that the surprise ending of Easter, the resurrection, has the power and the potential to change your life as well. To begin with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the surprise ending of Easter, changed the lives of these disciples because it proved to them once and for all that Jesus really was who he claimed to be. One thing becomes clear when you read through the New Testament and it's this, Jesus was a highly controversial figure. You know we sometimes harbor these images of Jesus meek and mild Jesus, the the gentle shepherd, Jesus, the prince of peace. While he walked this earth, Jesus was very divisive. In Matthew chapter 10, we read these words spoken to his disciples. He said, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but to bring a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. Those words come from Jesus' own mouth. He said, I've not come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword. I've come to bring division even within family. Now, don't misunderstand, this does not mean that Jesus was just a born agitator, (laughs) that Jesus enjoyed going from town to town, stirring up trouble. No. It simply means that Jesus was a realist, and he understood that the tremendous claims that he would make for himself would inevitably produce division. They would inevitably produce strong opinions one way or the other. Tremendous claims like this, I and the Father are one. Or the claim, I am the true bread which comes down from heaven. Whoever believes in me shall never hunger. Whoever trusts in me shall never thirst. Or the claim, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Now any way you cut it, those are extraordinary claims. They're extraordinary claims for anyone to say. And Jesus not only said them, but He said them repeatedly. Now here's the point. Those claims are either true or they are false, but there's no in between. In the words of C.S. Lewis, those are either the words of the Lord of glory, or they are the words of a liar, a lunatic, or something worse. So which is it? Is Jesus who he claimed to be the Savior of the world, the Son of God, or is he the greatest deceiver the world has ever known? Well, of course, it's the resurrection, the surprise ending of Easter, that answers the question once and for all. Listen, folks, the resurrection was not something that took place in some dark corner, quiet corner of the world. The resurrection took place in the city of Jerusalem. Within a few hours, everybody knew about the empty tomb. Within a few weeks, the entire Roman Empire, the whole world knew about the empty tomb. And that made a huge difference in the lives of these disciples because it meant that Jesus really was who he claimed to be. It meant that their faith had not been misplaced. He really was the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And as a result, a number of very important things followed for these disciples. First, because Jesus really was who he claimed to be, it meant that their past be forgiven and let me tell you for the disciples but for one in particular that was really good news for Peter I think about Peter for a moment Peter was a man who possessed at least one quality in great abundance self-confidence Peter was absolutely self-assured. Now, we all know that Peter sometimes got it wrong. We all realize that he sometimes gave the wrong answer, did the wrong thing. But let me tell you, even though Peter was sometimes wrong, he was never, ever in doubt. Have you ever known somebody like that? Somebody who's absolutely self-assured, self confident no matter what. From time to time my wife and I will get into a disagreement, and after we've been arguing for some time she'll just throw up her arms in frustration and say, that's the problem with arguing with a preacher. She said, you can sound right even when you're wrong. That's Peter. Or rather that was Peter prior to the crucifixion. As I said a moment ago, the previous 72 hours had shattered the Lord's disciples and none more so than Peter. You'll recall that on the night of the Last Supper, Jesus had said that one of his disciples would betray him. But it was Peter who blurted out, not I, Lord, I'll go with you to prison even unto death. But Jesus, who knew better, said to Peter, I tell you the truth, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times Luke's version of this story is particularly poignant you'll find it in chapter 22 beginning at verse 54 we read then the guards seized Jesus and led him away bringing him into the high priest's house and Peter was following at a distance And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But Peter denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. After an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter replied with an oath this time, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And it's this next part that always tears me up. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Sometimes that's all it takes, isn't it? Just a glance, that look of profound disappointment, hurt, sorrow, betrayal on the face of a loved one that you have wronged. Sometimes that look can be far more devastating than anything that they could possibly say to you in response to what you have done. Have you ever seen that look? On Peter, soul that look on the face of the Lord, we're told it cut him to the core, and he went off into the night, and he wept bitterly this man who'd been so self-confident, this man who'd been so self-assured. What do you think he was thinking now? I know exactly what he was thinking. He was thinking, oh God, what have I done? He was thinking, "I, I I have broken every vow. He was thinking, I'm worthless, I'm useless, God can never use me again. Peter was thinking that if he lived for a 100 years, he was going to have to live those 100 years in the penalty box. Well, tell me, have you ever felt like Peter? Have you ever said or done something so terrible that you wonder whether or not you can ever be forgiven? Have you ever betrayed someone, wronged someone, and you know that you desperately need to be forgiven, but that person is no longer alive. They've died, and you can't be forgiven, and so you haul around this tremendous burden of shame and guilt. Have you ever thought to yourself, if I live for 100 years, I'm going to have to live in the penalty box? Well, if you have... And I've got some wonderful news for you this morning for the message of the resurrection is that all of your past misdeeds all of your sins no matter how great they may be can be forgiven the message of the resurrection the surprise ending of Easter is the seal upon Good Friday Jesus Christ said that he would mount the arms of the cross and pay the price for the sins of the whole world, and Easter is the proof that he has done it. Reminds me of one of the great scenes from baseball history. It was the 1932 World Series, Chicago Cubs versus the New York Yankees. It was the fourth inning, the score was tied two to two, and up to bat was the great Bambino, the Sultan of Swat, Babe Ruth himself. It was like an electric current ran through the crowd at Wrigley Field that day when he stepped into the batter's box and knocked the dust off his cleats. First two pitches came in, they were strikes. Next two pitches came in, they were balls. The place was going wild. And the Cubs' bench especially was riding the Babe mercilessly. I mean, they were shouting, jeering, cursing. All of a sudden, Babe Ruth stepped out of the batter's box. He waited until a deathly hush fell over the crowd. And then he looked back over his shoulder at the Cubs' bench and gave a wry smile and then nonchalantly pointed toward the center field wall. Everybody knew what he was doing. In a tremendously bold and audacious move, Babe Ruth was calling the shot. He was saying that that ball was going out of the park and it was going over that center field wall. It's a huge boast, but now it remained to be seen. Could he actually back it up? The next pitch came in. It was low and inside, but the babe did not hesitate. He stepped back, and he swung, and he hit that ball. In fact, he fairly knocked the cover off it. It went sailing right over the center field wall, where he had just pointed past the flagpole, 490 feet, one of the greatest home runs in baseball history. He'd made the boast, and he backed it up. Well, if you think about it, that is exactly what Jesus Christ did, but in a much greater sense. On Good Friday, he mounted the arms of the cross, and he said that his death would be a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice, oblation, and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. And now it remained to be seen whether he could back up that boast. And three days later, he rose again from the dead, proving that he had done it. And that was exceedingly good news for Peter because what it meant was that his sins could be forgiven. He could be restored. He could be useful again. He could finally get out of the penalty box. And brothers and sisters, so can you. That is what Easter is all about. This is why Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Writing to the Colossians, he said this, Christ has canceled the record that stood against us. He has set it aside by nailing it to the cross. Somebody has described Easter as God's etch-a-sketch moment. I suppose you have to be of a certain generation to remember the old etch-a-sketch. You all remember that? That that little screen with the knobs down there in the corner and you turn the knobs and what happens? You draw a picture on the screen. Well, what happens if you don't like the picture? What happens if you mess up the picture? You turn it upside down, you give it a shake and what happens? The slate goes clean. Well, understand that is what Jesus Christ has done by His death and by His resurrection. He has wiped the slate clean. You can be restored. You can be useful. You can be forgiven. Easter is the proof that you can get out of the penalty box. But that's not all. It wasn't just that their past could be forgiven. The disciples discovered that because of the resurrection, because Jesus was who He claimed to be, because of the surprise ending of Easter, their past could not only be forgiven, but their present could be hopeful and confident. You know, there's a reason why we all like fairy tales. It's because in the end, the main characters always live what? Happily ever after. But of course, that's why we call them fairy tales, isn't it? (laughs) Because most of us know that that's not generally the way life works. Oh, we have our dreams, we make our plans, but very often something interrupts, something interferes to disrupt our plans. Disappointment, disaster, tragedy, strike, and all of our plans go to pieces. Oh, we discover that life rarely goes according to plan. How many of you have ever discovered that? The more years you have under the belt, the more you realize how true that really is. Life can jerk you around mercilessly. Life can be very disappointing, unmanageable, There are times when you will feel as though your life is absolutely out of control. I suspect that's true for some of you who are here today. You may have come because it's Easter and it was the thing to do. But right now, you're sitting in your pew and you're thinking to yourself, my life is unmanageable. My life is out of control. Well, Jesus understood that. In fact, he told his disciples, he said, in this life you will have trouble. Jesus said, you can expect disappointment, disaster, tragedy, because you live in a fallen world. But he went on to add this. He said, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Jesus was reminding his disciples that by his resurrection, He had disarmed the powers and the principalities that stand against us. He had defeated death itself. And that was good news for the disciples because it meant that the same power that raised him from the dead was available to them. Here's how the Apostle Paul put it, writing to the Ephesians. He said, My prayer for you is that the eyes of your heart may be opened, So that you may know the great hope to which he has called you and the incomparably great power that belongs to those who believe. It is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus wanted these men to understand that they were never expected to make it through life on their own steam. They were never expected to face the challenges, difficulties, disappointments of this mortal life in and of their own power. In fact, and this is very important true maturity is when you come to realize you cannot handle everything that life throws at you. But God can. You think about that for a moment. The very same power that raised Christ from the dead, incorruptible, invincible is a power that is available to all those who believe. It is the presence of God the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. Great news for the disciples who were facing hardship, difficulty, persecution. This is why the Apostle Paul could say, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Don't you love the way that Paul says we're not just conquerors? He says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead will give life to our mortal bodies. If you're ever fearing as though life is just overwhelming, you're weighted down by the cares and occupations of this mortal existence, take heart, my friends. If you're a believer, God the Holy Spirit dwells within you, and there is a power, the very same power that raised Christ from the dead, that will give you the ability not only to rise above your challenges, but to be victorious in the midst of them. So the surprise ending of Easter changed the lives of these men because it assured them that their past could be forgiven, their present could be hopeful, and finally it assured them that their future could be secure. The Apostle James asks, what is your life? You are but a mist that is here for a little while, and then you're gone. Those sober words are a reminder to us all that our time on this little planet is incredibly brief. James says you're here for a moment, you're a blip on the screen, and then you're gone. Now, I know that's not a particularly cheery thought, but it is also an undeniable fact. And it begs an important question, what next? Am I prepared for what comes next? You understand it's only a fool who does not prepare for the inevitable. If you put on your best Easter dress, you get your hair done, and then you go out and buy a brand new suit of clothes, and the weather report, as it is today, says 100% chance of downpours, and you step outside the door without grabbing your umbrella and get drenched, whose fault is that? Well, if we're all going to die, should not we at least prepare for it? Eternity is a long time. Our time on this side of the line is incredibly brief. What, 70, 80, 90 years compared to eternity? Some years ago, US News and World Report had a cover story entitled, The Rekindling of Hell and in that article it stated that more Americans than ever before now believe in an afterlife, in a heaven but also in a hell. And it said this was particularly true, listen to this, among the baby boomers. Why do you suppose that's true among the baby boomers? You know why. It's because that generation is beginning to realize they have more days behind them than they do in front of them. So they're beginning to ask the question, well, I know none of us likes to talk about death. We like to shove it to the back of our minds. But folks, death is not something that needs to be feared. The whole message of the resurrection is that Jesus Christ has conquered death. Look at how the apostle Paul describes Jesus in today's first lesson from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. He says we all die because we're all, every single one of us, in Adam. We're connected to Adam, and because Adam sinned and died, we all die. But then he goes on to say, but all who are in Christ shall be made alive. If we have placed our faith in Christ, in His finished work, in His death, and in His resurrection, what that means is that our eternal destiny is inextricably linked to His. That whatever happened to Him is one day going to happen to us. He is the first fruits, but He's not the last. And for the disciples, that was very encouraging as they faced the prospect of martyrdom. They knew that no matter what happened to them, their future was absolutely secure. Do you know if your future is absolutely secure? Are you prepared for the inevitable? The critical phrase in this passage is, in Christ. All who are in Adam die, all who are in Christ shall be made alive. If you have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, for the salvation of your soul, my friend, you are in Christ and nothing, nothing in all of creation can ever separate you from His love. You may die in this life, but it will be like the twinkling of an eye. You will pass right through the door into the life Elysium, into that place where there is no more sorrow, no more grief, no more sighing. In that place where God himself is going to wipe away every tear from your eyes. Your future is absolutely secure because you are in Christ Jesus. Oh, yes, the surprise ending of Easter forever changed the lives of these men. But it changed them because the surprise ending of Easter was actually the beginning of a whole series of surprises for them. The surprise that their past could be forgiven, their present could be lived in hope and confidence, and their future could be could be secure. And so can yours. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen Alleluia. Alleluia, amen.